everyone. I'm Luke Worsham, and welcome to the 3 and Out Podcast. If this is your first time listening to the 3 and Out Podcast, I sure do hope it won't be your last, and you've picked a fantastic first episode to tune into. If you want to get alerted whenever an episode of the 3 and Out Podcast comes out, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, or you could follow me on Twitter. I'm at Luke underscore Worsham on Twitter. We have a jam-packed show today. I'm very excited because joining us later on in the show is one of my favorite um, NFL draft writers and authorities. He's up there with with Mike Mayock and um, Mel Kuyper and those guys in terms of the NFL draft. Matt Miller from Bleacher Report and the host of his own podcast, the Stick to Football podcast, will be joining us later on in the show. We do have another guest before Matt comes on, though. Uh, But before our our first guest comes on, I want to say there has been a little bit of Titans news in the last couple of days. Matt Castle has suffered an injury to his throwing hand, which will require surgery, and he will miss the next six weeks of action. I say that because uh, this kind of leads the way into our our first guest. Uh, Now that Matt Castle obviously can't go for six weeks, and Marcus Mariota is still not fully cleared to practice because of his broken fibula, uh, the Titans are left to run their offseason program until training camp with Alex Tanney and Tyler Ferguson. Uh, Tanney has been on the team for a couple of years now, uh, but Ferguson was an undrafted free agent that the Titans picked up immediately after the draft, went to three different schools, was kind of a journeyman, but he never actually started. And I did a piece on Titan Sized about him the other day, Uh, where I I included some quotes from an interview I had with Aaron Elliott. And Aaron is going to be our first guest on the show today. He is a longtime quarterback coach and trainer, and he, before the draft, worked with Tyler in terms of getting him ready for the draft. He had some really interesting things to say about uh, uh, Tyler when I talked to him. So we're going to welcome our first guest onto the show. That is Aaron Elliott. All right, Aaron, I want to let you kind of start out by just kind of talking to us about uh, Tyler because he's someone that not many people know all that much about. So just kind of give us a little bit of an introduction to Tyler as a player. Sure. So Tyler is a uh, – is a well, first and foremost, he's obviously a fantastic person, uh, family guy uh, who enjoys being around his kid, Tatum, uh, and just loves, uh, you know, loves his family and loves the game of football as well. But as a player, uh, he uh, you know he trained with us at the Elliott Quarterback Academy in our pre-draft NFL pre-draft training. Uh, we had him for uh, a couple about three weeks uh, leading up to the pro day. Uh, the pro day, uh, he he only had about seven incompletions of the pro day, and it's basically a uh, a career backup. You know, to get a shot in the NFL is pretty rare. Uh, Tyler has all of the intangibles that it takes to play in the NFL. Uh, he is every bit of six two and a half or six foot three, weighs over two hundred and thirty pounds, and uh, has the ability to drive the ball down the field uh, with the best of them. I firmly believe that the NFL scouts. Uh, my little brother is an NFL scout for the Indianapolis Colts, so I know this directly. That. Uh, that the NFL scouts firmly believe that he had all of the check marks it takes to play in the league um, and has some great ability. And Tyler has a great work ethic. Uh, He loves to lift weights, uh, loves to study the playbook, 
and uh, firmly believe that he'll have every bit of an opportunity to make a uh, make a quality impact on the Titans. Um, you mentioned him kind of being a career backup in college, multiple transfers out of JUCO to Penn State to Western Kentucky. What were some of the styles of offense that he played in in college? Sure, yo, great question. Uh, you know, under Penn, uh, you know, at the College of Sequoia's JUCO, he was a shotgun type quarterback. But at Penn State, you know, he was a very much an NFL ready type offense. And I believe that, you know, under Bill O'Brien, who's currently the head coach of the Texans. That's what allowed him to translate as well to his game now as he's preparing, you know, preparing for Sundays. Being under Bill O'Brien and the tutelage of that piece, uh, under center, a lot of three steps, five steps, seven step pitches, uh, a lot of drive the ball down the field type routes with 18 yard comebacks, and Tyler with his ability to throw the ball down the field. Uh, that was a piece that uh, I really believed that, that allowed him to get, his, you know, get himself ready for the NFL uh, at Western Kentucky university specifically, Jeff Brom runs a pro style ready offense as well. He's under center as well as out of the gun, but he's under center predominantly. Uh, they drive the ball down the field. And they, lot of, they run a lot of West coast style offense and that is NFL ready. And so because of those practice reps he took and he took everything he, you know, ready to go, uh, it was uh, it, those things translate real well to playing in the NFL. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want a comparison. I don't necessarily want a name, but tell me what yeah. what what kind of quarterback Tyler's going to be if if, if he does get a shot to play in the NFL. Uh, well, I I, I will tell you this. Uh, he is very uh, very similar to. Uh, Zach Mettenberger, who made the Titans and played for two or three years and then bounced around to the NFL. Big, strong, physically very gifted, um, and uh, has the ability to drive the ball, like I said. Uh, but definitely out of the NFL quarterbacks that I've been around, or actually, you know, you know, at the NFL quarterbacks that I've been around, he's physically like Zach Mettenberger, but I would say he is – he studies the game – uh, like a Russell Wilson, he they say Russell Wilson is in the they say Russell Wilson is in the facility. You know, I've never met Russell, but they say he's in the facility super super early. And just from talking to Tyler over the last three or four days, I know he's been at the facility every morning at five thirty, uh, just trying to soak up everything he possibly can from Matt Castle, Alex Tanney, and then obviously Marcus Mariota. I'm kind of glad you mentioned the Zach Mettenberger comparison but because that was kind of a question I was going to ask. Mettenberger's ultimate downfall in the NFL has been the fact that his feet are like giant boulders and he has zero ability to move around in the pocket. Does Tyler have those same problems? Will he be able to move around? And You don't have to be Colin Kaepernick to be a mobile quarterback, but will he be able to step up in the pocket, make his reads, and evade pressure and not just be stuck in one spot? Man, Tyler's incredibly athletic. Uh, he jumped over. Uh, he jumped 33 inches. Uh, you know, he had a 30. What did he jump? 32. Trying to think. What, Tyler's a very athletic quarterback. I'm trying. I was trying to think what his pro day numbers are. You can look up what his vertical is. I think his vertical was almost 33 inches. His standing long jump was nine and a half. His broad jump was nine and a half. Which both of those are above the NFL average for NFL backups. Uh, 
you know, his 40 was about five flat on the pro day. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the Titans firmly believe because they brought him in on a pro on a workout. And Jason Michael, who's the uh, quarterback coach who also played at Western Kentucky, uh, you know, firmly believed that Tyler was athletic enough to be able to make the plays in the NFL that it takes to play. Uh, you know, he's physically – when I say Zach Mettenberger, he, I would say he's more Zach Mettenberger in the sense of his arm strength. His arm talent is that Mettenberger-like. His, uh, he's a little shorter than Mettenberger. Um, and then, like I said, he studies the game like a Russell Wilson. Uh, just loves the game of football. And uh, a fan, honestly, Tyler is uh, – you know, I've been training quarterbacks for a long time. I've uh, been around some good ones and been around Curtis Painter uh, multiple, you know, worked out with Curtis Painter multiple times, seen Blaine Gabbert throw and Tyler is every bit as talented as, as guys that have played in the NFL for multiple years. It's kind of interesting because he's ending up on a roster with Matt Castle, who was also a career backup in college. And as we all know, the reason for that was because ahead of him on the depth chart were guys we all know, Carson Palmer, Matt Leinert, both won the Heisman Trophy. Why do you think Tyler Ferguson was never, you know, the guy at, at any of the schools he went to? Well, if you, if you well, let's, let's let's run through that real quick, right? Uh, if you look at Christian Hackenberg, he's playing in the NFL. He was pretty good <laughs> at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his years at his his last year at. Uh, at Louisville, his freshman year when he decided to transfer to go to Western, a guy named Lamar Jackson showed up, and he's pretty good. And then Mike White at Western Kentucky right now, if you look at NFLDraftScout.com, he's ranked in the top ten incoming quarterbacks for next year, that 2018 loaded class. So legitimately three NFL prospects uh, were around him uh, during those times. And so he and he was actually ahead of a lot of people don't know this, but Tyler was actually ahead of Christian Hackenberg during fall camp at Penn State. So the the truth is, yes, you're a career backup, but when you're behind guys like Hackenberg, and when he went to Louisville for that time, you know, and then being behind Western Kentucky, he battled Mike White all the way to the end of fall camp, and uh, Mike White just just. But Tyler played in almost every game this past year. They made sure they inserted him because they thought he was talented enough. Um, and uh, in essence, uh, a very talented, a very talented player. Uh, Brandon Brandon Taylor was the one that worked his pro day. I saw. He, I think he just got promoted to national scout and uh, for the Titans. And Brandon just really thought that Tyler had the ability to play in the NFL. Um, the more I hear about him from you he sounds like the kind of guy who has certainly the talent and and the ability to succeed as a backup quarterback in the NFL but that might not come immediately do you think he would benefit from perhaps some time on the Titans practice squad learning the game and getting just some some scout team and practice reps I think I think Tyler any opportunity Tyler has to learn in the NFL whether that's on the active roster or on the practice roster for the Tennessee Titans, I think that uh, would benefit him very benefit him greatly. Uh, his talent is there. Uh, he's learning the offense as any rookie. As any rookie, it doesn't matter if you're drafted or undrafted. Uh, we worked out with Taewon Taylor multiple times, and Taewon is going to learn. You know, like it, it doesn't matter. Uh, at the end of the day, any rookie who's got that big learning curve 
uh, in the NFL, there's a learning process. And sometimes that learning process takes week one and you could jump on the roster. Sometimes it takes, you know, a year one or year two. But an NFL quarterback, um, there's, a, there's a huge learning curve uh, for all of those players. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alex Tanney. If you are, it might just be I'm because very, because of his YouTube video. I'm very, I'm very much familiar with Alex Tanney. Do, do you think that Tyler has a chance to potentially beat out Alex Tanney to become this team's third quarterback? I would say that I think that Alex is. I think that uh, Alex is a talented player as well. Uh, I, I I would not want to make any comments publicly <laughs> about Alex Tanney or Tyler Ferguson's ability to beat him out. <laughs> To be really honest yeah. with you, Aaron, th- that, that 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 that's just that's just that's just not good. Uh, <laughs> you know, here, here's what I here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. Uh, I own my own quarterback training business, right? Uh, and we have trained a lot of college quarterbacks, had NFL quarterbacks, and the the process to say this is this is that Tyler has the ability to make it in the NFL. I firmly believe that, and I believe that it'll be with the Titans um, because I think they're going to see his work ethic and uh, and they're going to benefit from that in the long run. Aaron, thank you so much That's for your I, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. Yeah, no problem. And we certainly thank Aaron for joining us on today's episode. And now it's time to talk with Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout. On Twitter, we welcome him into the show right now. Before we start talking about the Titans, there are a couple of other specific teams I want to address, and I want to start with the 49ers. I loved what they did on day one, getting Reuben Foster at the very end of the first round, but the Solomon Thomas pick was puzzling to me in that they, the past two seasons, have drafted five technique defensive ends in uh, Armstead and uh, DeForest Buckner. Where do you see Solomon Thomas fitting on their defensive line with they, them already having interior guys? Well, I'll tell you, man, I was confused too. And, and you know, you probably know, and a lot of people listen to this know, I grew up a 49ers fan, and my first job covering the draft is covering the 49ers. So, you know, I'm sitting there on draft night, and I was like, man, like I would, you know, Reuben Foster would be so good right here. I would even go for Jamal Adams. And when I look at Solomon Thomas now, like you said, you already have DeForest Buckner, you have Eric Armstead. I think the move to the – kind of that Seattle defense uh, with a 4-3 front, I see Solomon Thomas playing that three-technique role. Um, yeah, he could play outside a defensive end, I think, in some, in some pass-rushing situations, but the way that it was explained to me was John Lynch played with Warren Sapp, and he played with Derrick Brooks, and he thinks that he got his Warren Sapp and Solomon Thomas and his Derrick Brooks and Reuben Foster. So that's, I think, the kind of defense they're trying to build and the kind of culture they're trying to build. So I was not, like, super on board with the pick. I mean, the value was obviously there, but just the need until it was ex- explained to me that way. And then it was like, okay, well, Simon Thomas is going to be your Warren Sapp. I'm, yeah, I'll sign up for that all day. So I, I think that's a pick that it, you need a little context before you can really get on board with it. Uh, as a bit of a Titans homer, I certainly would have liked the Browns to have traded back up to five where the Titans were, but at the same time, I was wondering why that was even a question. Uh, The Browns have the worst roster in the NFL. It's not even a question. 
And I love how on day one of the draft, instead of reaching for a quarterback like Trubisky or, or going for Mahomes or someone like that, they ended up with three day one plug-and-play starters that can help transform this roster. Do you agree with that approach of not reaching for a guy? I do. Uh, yeah, I, I think that good teams, smart teams, stick with the best player available strategy. And whether that's Cleveland not trading back up to two or three or five, or even Tennessee just staying at five and 18 and saying, okay, these are the guys we like, let's go get them. And I, I think that you can look at Cleveland and say, they got three, as you said, plug and play starters, maybe four, because there's a chance that Sean Kaiser might win that starting quarterback job. So, um, it, you know, they, I think the Browns did a great job in uh, filling key needs early, but also not overthinking it. And and one thing that I, I remember saying about their draft class, I think it was maybe we were doing video for Bleacher Report or maybe it was a podcast, was that they grabbed like very talented athletes at all these positions. If their if their picks have something in common, it's that they're all high end athletes. You know, Miles Garrett is a freak. David Njoku is a freak. Jabril Peppers is an elite athlete. Even guys like Roderick Johnson tested very well at the offensive tackle position. So I liked that they didn't panic, but you know, you can talk about the same thing with Tennessee is everyone expected them to trade from five. You know what? Let's just go get Marcus Mariota, a top flight guy that we believe could be a number one receiver who is super high character, highly productive. Everyone raves about him. And I think, you know, had he been able to test at the senior bowl or combine or pro day, we would have been talking about him as a top five to seven pick all along. So I think both teams should be commended for, you know, in 2016, we saw move all over the place to make things happen. 2017, they just sit down and and make really good picks. Two of the more surprising teams last season for the wrong reasons were the teams that were in the NFC Championship game in 2015, the Panthers and the Cardinals. I loved what they did. Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Buda Baker, Hassan Reddick. Do you think that those guys will be able to help those two teams get back to where they were two years ago? I do. Um, I think, gosh, they, these are the areas where, well, especially the linebacker for them was an area where I think I've been saying since Daryl Washington was suspended, they, they've got to figure it out. You know, in the, with the way the NFL is anymore, you need a, a linebacker who has versatility, and Hassan Reddick offers that. I mean, gosh, the guy played corner uh, as a freshman at Temple as a walk-on, and then he becomes a pass rusher. Then we see him, you know, at the senior bowl playing off-ball linebacker. And so you see all these traits from these guys and it's like dang you know these are the, Hassan Reddick is that new breed of linebacker and Buda Baker was my, one of my favorite players in the draft so you lose Tony Jefferson in free agency and you add someone to Buda Baker who and I'm a big Tony Jefferson fan but Buda Baker is a more versatile type of player he can play nickel corner um, so now you can roll out Buda Baker and Tyron Matthew and how are teams gonna what do you do when you're an offense and you see those two out there with Patrick Peterson and Brandon Williams and some of the, you know, Antoine Bethea, they have a lot of talent on the back end of that defense. Uh, when I look at, at Arizona, though, I think the biggest question mark is uh, on offense, you know, is someone like Chad Williams the answer long-term a wide receiver because Larry Fitzgerald is starting to get older? Um, are, are the moves that they've made on the offensive line of shifting people around going to be enough to protect Carson Palmer? But that's a really interesting team because they have the talent to be – a 10, 11, 12 win club, or it could be like last year where they just completely fall apart. 
Now let's talk about the Titans. I have several topics I want to hit on with them. But first, I'll start with the two first-round picks. You've touched on Corey Davis a little bit, and then there's a Dory Jackson. What are your opinions on those two picks? Because I, at first, wondered, well, why go for Corey Davis at five? That seems like a reach. And then you see Mike Williams and John Ross go almost immediately after that. What are your opinions on those two picks and, and specifically where they were picked? Yeah, I'm with you. When Corey Davis was picked, you know, I remember saying to the guys on the desk, like, gosh, that seems a little early, right? And and I thought he was a target at 18 for them. And then you see Mike Williams for seven, John Ross goes nine. And this was really a three-receiver draft as far as potential number one guy. So it makes sense uh, when you look at it that way. And I'm sure the Titans had good intel that a team like the Chargers was probably going to take Corey Davis if he was there at seven. You hear that the Bengals were like a receiver at nine. Uh, so when you start to piece it together, I think you understand why guys go earlier. And I, listen, if Corey Davis becomes a number one receiver for that team, if he can live up to some of the comparisons that were thrown around pre-draft, you know, physically I compared him to Terrell Owens. So, I mean, the guy is, is special. If he lives up to that, no one's going to care if he was the fifth pick in the draft. And Adoree Jackson at 18 was early in my opinion. He is a player, though, with such raw upside with the speed, with the ball skills. He's a great punt returner. So you see those things, and it's like, man, if you can just fix some of the coverage technique, if you can get him to turn faster, uh, to get his head around quicker, like those are all coachable things. But his speed and instincts on the outside are, are incredibly rare, I felt like. So at 18, yes, he's a little small, and he is a little raw, but I think his upside is tremendous. And at the corner position, you know, some of the top guys really fell off because – you know, Gary and Conley uh, have the rape allegations the week before the draft. And, you know, T's Tabor runs poorly. And, and so a lot of these top corners, you know, really everybody started to shy away from. So it, it got to a point, I think, when Adoree was on the board that he was probably the best corner out there without a question mark for a lot of teams. Personally, I would have loved O.J. Howard there. And we talked about that, um, I think, right after the draft on my podcast was, gosh, O.J. Howard and Corey Davis together. Like that, that's an offense that's very hard to stop. But the, the need at corner, I think, was too big to over, overlook at that point at 18. Do you have a favorite other pick of the Titans from some of the later rounds? They didn't have a two, but you have Taewon Taylor, uh, Jonu Smith, Jayon Brown, Kalfani Muhammad, some of those other guys. Yeah, I love Jayon Brown. Um, and he was kind of under my radar until we really sat down and started scouting guys for the NFL Draft 400 process. And it's like, man, I mean, he moved so well, and he was all over the place for UCLA. And, and I, you know, so then you flash back to I remember watching him take over for Miles Jack, and he played well in that, that season. So, I mean, I know that the inside linebacker depth looks pretty good on paper with Woodyard, with Williamson, but I wouldn't be shocked if J.R. Brown finds his way into the rotation pretty early in his career because his, he's just a good player. And athletically, yeah, he doesn't lack anything. He's a little bit small. But everybody's going to that, you know, six foot, two hundred thirty pound linebacker now. So, you know, I, I think he, you know, I mentioned earlier, Hassan Reddick is the versatility everyone wants. I think Jaron Brown's just that kind of athlete that everybody's going to now at that position. I was glad to see that you had Taylor Lewan on your podcast this week because he was someone I had planned on talking to you about. When I look at an offensive lineman before the draft, I obviously don't scout guys like you do, but I'll ask a couple questions. Can he move? Can he set an edge in the run game? And can he pass protect? Taylor Lewan does all the three of those things to a T. Every year he seems to be becoming more and more of that prototypical franchise left tackle. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, man, I think he's underrated. And I'm not just saying that because he was on our podcast last week. Like, I think he is incredibly underrated. And, and one thing I would say is if he can cut down on the penalties, we're going to see him get mentioned, you know, as an all-pro left tackle because the production is, is great. I mean, he gave up two sacks last year and no quarterback hits and um, a very limited number of hurries even when you look at the top tackles in the league. So I think the Titans are in a great situation uh, with Lawan at left tackle, with Compton at right tackle. Uh, even the interior line, you know, it looked very good last year with guys like Quentin Spain, uh, Josh Klein and Ben Jones are two of my favorite, like, underrated players in the league. So I, I do look at Lawan, though, and think, you know, it, this guy might be a top five left tackle when the 2017 season's over. He just has to cut down on some of those penalties because I think he got flagged 14 times last year. I mean, that's just – it's too many when you, you look at guys like Joe Thomas getting flagged, you know, three or four times, Trent Williams getting flagged three or four times, and you've got Taylor out there. I, I love how aggressive he plays, but I, I think that's one area where we have to see him take the next step now. You know as well as I do that other than the occasional Kent miss prospect like an Andrew Luck, quarterbacks are essentially a flip of the coin in the draft as to whether they work out or not. Marcus Mariota, over his first two years, when I watched him in person his rookie year, I saw him reading defenses, going through his reads, something you don't always necessarily see rookies doing. It just seems like he gets it. Would you agree with that? And what do you what do you see his ceiling being, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, he definitely gets it. And I will add this note to that. He does it with, without a great supporting cast. And, and that cast is getting better. And adding guys like Corey Davis will help. You know, the, the further development of, you know, the tight end position, whether that's John o. Smith or whoever ends up, you know, kind of helping out there with Delaney Walker, all those things will help. But Mariota, from a, from a technique standpoint, is beautiful. Quick feet, light feet, you know, his, his release is fast. Like you said, he works through progressions, and he doesn't turn the ball over in the red zone. Like, that's so – I can look at those things and pretty much tell you, like, okay, this guy's going to be pretty damn good because he, he can do it all fundamentally – and then you see the execution. So I think that, you know, the sky's the limit for him. If he ends up in a couple of years, you know, if Tom Brady ever retires as, you know, the, the guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers, as they phase out, there's no reason Mariota can't become a top five quarterback. Like there's nothing holding him back. He has all the tools, all the athleticism. I think he has the intellect, everything that you want, man. Like he can put it together. So he just needs a little better help. I think continuity is a huge thing for young quarterbacks. So getting your offensive line together early and letting them grow, he's got a great power run game back there. So just give him the pieces now at receiver, and I think he's going to be a really special guy. As we kind of start to wrap up, uh, one of my editors at Fansided uh, wanted me to ask you about a specific prospect for next year's draft and maybe how he would fit in the Titans' defense if they were able to somehow acquire him. You had him going 10th to the Saints in your way-too-early mock draft. That's Malik Jefferson, a linebacker from Texas. Perfect question because I'm a huge Texas fan. So Malik is an interesting guy because he's a great athlete. And you see it, you know, you can see, I mean, he looks like a a young Jalen Smith, but he hasn't had that breakout year yet. And a lot of people are hoping that this will be the year, you know, in a new defense, uh, you know, with now Tom Herman running the team, what he'll be able to do. But I think Malik is a great fit um, just because of the athleticism. Uh, I think he's an inside linebacker at the next level. That's where he's going to play this year for the Longhorns. But he needs to now put it all together on the field. But athletically, he's special. I mean, he's 6'3", 240. He's probably running in the four fives. 
great kid, you know, smart, high character. You're never going to have to worry about him. He's, he's been a leader for that program since the minute he walked on the campus as a freshman. So he has a tremendous, I guess, intangibles and tools. Now we just have to see it become where he's making more impact tackles. Uh, he's taking cleaner paths to the ball. So he has some things to clean up, but I think his upside is as good as any defensive player in college right now. And finally, as we do with all of our guests here on the three and out podcast, we put you through the ringer. Our, our final segment is the three and out segment where I ask three very quick hit questions. And I'm going to start out and I'm going to want you to just name two players selected in this past NFL draft that have the best chance of being pro bowlers as rookies. Oh, well, uh, I'm going to say Christian McCaffrey and man, that's tough. McCaffrey and Malik Hooker would be the two. I, I think they, they're going to be around the ball enough to, to get the numbers that you need to be a pro bowler. Number two, in all your time scouting the NFL draft, who's your biggest miss, a guy you were really low on and ended up being a pro bowl caliber player, someone like that? I always tell people my biggest miss was you know definitely Trent Richardson. But somebody I was low on that became a pro bowl player Oh, man, that one's a little bit tougher. Um, you know, I was really low on Luke Keekley. Um, I had him as a late first-round pick just because I, I felt like he was a little small and made too many tackles downfield, and he has become you know, probably the best linebacker in football. So that's one that, that I, I take that one on the chin every time I think about it. And finally, we'll end on a good note. Who's your, who's your biggest hit? Oh, gosh, the misses are easier to remember. Um, <laughs> I actually had this conversation with some friends a few days ago. I've always said my biggest hit was Alshon Jeffrey because I had him as a top 10 player and he fell to the second round. I think I'm going to update that though and say Derek Carr because I had him um, as QB2 in that draft, um, you know, only behind Teddy Bridgewater, who I absolutely love. So I think Derek Carr might be my new guy now because uh, he was number 12 overall on my board. Obviously, you know, this, we all know the story, all around two and ended up becoming a you know, Pro Bowl player and a franchise quarterback for the Raiders. I thought you might have said Michael Thomas because that was a guy you had really high last year. Yeah, that's another good one because I had him as the top receiver last year. I, I'm anxious to see what happens this year. Um, he, he was great last year, but I think he needs more than one year before I'm going to pat myself on the back about that one. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of taking care of your kids. We really appreciate it. And you can go follow Matt on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Go subscribe to his podcast too, the Stick to Football podcast. I really enjoy it. You'll get some really good perspective from Matt, not just on the NFL Draft, but about the rest of the NFL as well and current rosters too. Um, And also subscribe to this one. Again, subscribe to the 3 and Out podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud if you want alerts anytime a new episode of the 3 and Out podcast comes out. But that is it for us. We will see you guys next time. I actually said that this episode would be uh, former college coaches of players the Titans drafted. I am postponing that to our next episode because I, I have yet to get in contact with the Dory Jackson's college coaches. I'm still working on that. So that's going to be the next episode. Whenever that does happen, it will be a fun episode. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, But, yep, that's it. I will see you guys next time. This has been Luke Worsham saying goodbye, God first, and tighten up.